You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. another installment of the hunter profile podcasts here on the nine finger chronicles needless to say i'm excited and i'm excited not only because it's friday and i don't have to work tomorrow or sunday but there's two other reasons one the guy telling the story his name is devin phoenix and devin phoenix to me sounds like this guy is an adult film star he's not an adult film star but the story that is that he tells today is kick-ass. It is the story of a buck that himself and his family chased for five years. We're talking 2010 all the way to 2014 when this deer was ultimately harvested by his dad. But everything that happens in between is amazing. Not only do you have a buck that as a three-year-old is 160 inches, which is a feat in itself. Then you have a buck that adds on 60 more inches, roughly, maybe even more throughout the years and just becomes a deer that is talked about forever. It's a a legend, a monarch, whatever you want to say. And I'm going to shut up so we can get into this week's podcast. But before we do, I recently sat down with Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras for him to talk a little bit about their direct-to-consumer business model. So, you know, direct-to-consumer is is kind of this buzzword that's going around these days in the retail space because it's causing a lot of disruption. And a lot of your big retailers aren't going to tell you this yet, but they're worried about it, very worried about it. Because what we see is over the next five to ten years, companies like Kuyu, Maven Optics, Exodus Outdoor Gear, um, yours truly, I see companies like that becoming the normal rather than the exception. The reason why is people are not necessarily excited about the fact that they're paying about half of every product that they buy in profit to Cabela's, Bass Pros, Dick Sporting Goods, all the major retailers of the world. So what we do is instead of that, we build a product. We build it better because we don't have to compete with 15 other products that are on the same shelf. We build it better. Nobody's telling us how to build our products. We put them out at a better price, and you're getting a more quality product 
for a cheaper price, which everybody I think can be happy with. What we typically like to say is if our camera, the Exodus Lift, was in retail stores, it would be about $479 retail. We're able to sell it at $230 retail and offer our five-year warranty and 50% off theft you know, damage replacement policy because we're direct-to-consumer, and that's a big deal to us. If you guys want to find out more information about Exodus Trail Cameras, be sure to visit their website at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you do end up purchasing, enter the code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, no space, followed by the word FINGERS with a capital F. I don't think it matters. But anyway, 9FINGERS. And you can get $20 off of that purchase. So, Without further ado, here's Devin Phoenix and the story of Heart Attack. All right. On the phone with me now is Devin Phoenix. How's it going today, Devin? Good, Dan. Thanks for asking. Well, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, so far on this show, we haven't had a lot of long-time history with one particular buck. And today we're going to be talking about a buck that you called heart attack you i shouldn't say you but your family called heart attack uh with five years worth of history with this deer but before we get into that story why don't you tell us you know a little bit about where you live and what you do for a living yep yep like you said uh my name is devin phoenix Uh, i was born and raised in a small town uh called nashville michigan um just uh, on the east side of Berry county um 32 32 years old um, I currently am um, employed by the state of Michigan. I investigate um, allegations of child abuse and neglect um, in Eaton County, Michigan. Um, so a little bit different than um, a lot of my hobbies. I have a lot of, you know, um, detachment from, you know, my career uh, and my hobby, um, unfortunately. Uh, but luckily, I do have lots of vacations and comp time in order to chase my dreams when it came to uh, big white tails. Yeah, yeah. So this this buck though it was it killed in Michigan? No, nope. It's actually killed in uh, West Central Illinois. Okay, all right. So, um, did you did your family have a farm in Illinois? Did you have a lease yep. in yep. Illinois, or what's the story there? Yep, I'll, I'll even give it to you right from the beginning. Um, I graduated from Central Michigan um, University in 2007, and for a graduation present, my dad wanted to give me a bow hunt. Um, in Illinois, um, knowing that, you know, it was the, the nucleus or the center of, you know, big whitetails. Um, so I was ecstatic about that. And, um, you know, he contacted a family friend, um, who's actually a really good friend of his and now a really good friend of mine as well. Um, and they were able to orchestrate a lease online, um, in McDonough County, Illinois. Um, and we first hunted it in October of 2008. Okay, so that's when that's when I really got exposed to big whitetails, you know, because you know, being born and raised in Michigan, you know, I don't have that privilege, um, at least in Michigan, uh, to hunt big whitetails. Yeah, they're they're few and far between. I mean, so you know, some blue and crockett bucks will be killed uh, rarely in Michigan, and it's, in fact, I actually think two states last year had more hunters than what they had whitetail. Michigan being one of them, and Pennsylvania being the other one. So, uh, you know, the DNR, you know, they do their best in Michigan. Uh, but it's not enough. Right. And, and I've always dreamt of chasing big white tails. Um, so that's what brought us to uh, West Central Illinois in 2008. Right. And uh, that story kind of goes al- along with what a lot of people 
do. You know, um, there's some people who just can't move or they can't, you know, leave or afford a lease or something like that. So they got to kind of deal with what they, uh, the, the hand that they're dealt while there's others that are like, you know what, I'm going to go where the big bucks are. And that kind of sounds like what, uh, what you did. That's exactly what, that's exactly what we did. You know, and, and you're so right. You know, it's really hard to offer, you know, your family and your career, um, and having, you know, this area being the epicenter for, you know, my entire life. But I knew, you know, I had that desire and that drive um, to hunt big whitetails. You know, it's ingrained in you once you have that experience. Once you kill your first big, you know, legitimate, you know, in Michigan, I say legitimate or big whitetail. You know, we're talking about, you know, possibly a three and a half year old, maybe pulping young whitetail. I mean, there was times when I first started bow hunting when I was 15 years old. You know, I would only see in Michigan, you know, one shooter deer um, a year, a season. And even if I saw them, it didn't mean that it gave me that opportunity. So, you know, I, I craved it. I wanted more. Like, give me more opportunities. Let me see bigger deer. Yeah. So here came West West Central Illinois. That's where we started. Gotcha. So you got this lease. And is is this the same property that you've had for the last five years? Yep. Yep. Same property since 2008. You know, we've had the privilege um, to lease it. The landowners have been great. We've developed a family-like relationship. You know, we love them. We're in great contact with them. Um, the accommodations are amazing. You know, it's affordable. Um, it's all the planets aligned when it came to this property. You know, it's uh, it's in McDonough County, uh, and it's all river bottom property. The Lemoyne uh, runs on the eastern edge of the property, the Lemoyne River. Uh, and everyone knows when you talk about river bottom bucks, no matter where you're at. You know, uh, in Michigan, Pennsylvania, you know, Iowa, Illinois, and it's just where deer congregate. Yeah. Yep, I hunt uh I hunt my fair share of river bottoms in Iowa too. So I know exactly the kind of terrain that you're talking about. But yep. this particular property, uh when you first got set up to hunt there, were I mean, has have there always been big deer on this property? Has it been hunted in the past? Are are you and I take it your dad is in on this lease? Yep, yep. Uh, there's there's I'm, three of us. Okay. And um I I'll tell you right from the beginning. It was the very first time I ever sat in a tree in West Central Illinois. It was like October 23rd of 2008. Uh, it was kind of weird. We got a cold snap. We went down there for a few days, uh, actually, I think a weekend, a long weekend, to hang all of our sets to prepare for the rut. And once we got our sets hung, we kind of had an opportunity to uh, hunt a couple of days. Um, and this is no joke. And, and, and a lot of people, um, I feel like, uh, they want, back home, my friends at home wanted to experience, you know, what Illinois was like. So I had a video camera. Right. So, you know, sun up October 23rd, 2008, uh, believe it or not, I have a mid-150 class, 300-pound um, whitetail that we named um, Harley because uh, he was extremely fat. So we named him Harley like the fat boy, the Harley motorcycle. Um, and it's kind of a trend that you may see through this story that we named a lot of our deer. But anyways, I had Harley at about 60 yards and he wouldn't close the gap. And we're talking mid fifties, white tail, something I've never even experienced before in my life, you know, being from Michigan. Yeah. And that, that morning got even better, Dan. Um, I think I filmed approximately 14 shooters, you know, everything above, let's say Pope and young before noon, I saw 53 white tails and, and that's almost unheard of in Michigan. So uh, I'm a kid in the candy store. I'm losing my mind. I'm texting my dad. I said, you'll never believe it. Um, and you know what? We got back up to the truck that afternoon. And uh, he didn't believe me. 
So I had to show him the video on my video camera. And that's why I took it. You know, he, no one would believe me. I, it's the land of Lincoln. It's the promised land to a whitetail hunter. At least at that time it was. You know, it has regressed a little bit. And, you know, the great state of Iowa has kind of taken the forefront for big whitetails, at least in my, um, in my opinion. Um, but to back up a little bit, I mean, 14 shooter whitetails in one hunt, and I got them all on film. It was it was amazing. You know, I didn't capitalize on that opportunity with that mid-150 class whitetail, but eventually I actually got some trail cam pictures of that buck, Harley, uh, and I ended up winning a uh, trail cam contest uh, with one of his pictures. Oh, nice. He actually uh, was killed by a gun hunter that fall, um, and I think he grossed, I think, 154 inches with a few tines broken off. So, you know, a mature whitetail. Okay. So... This this uh, property that you guys leased, um, you, your dad, and another person hunted on it. Was that just yep. for bow hunting rights? Uh, yep. Was there another yep. group of hunters that had sh- shotgun rights to it? You know what? Yes. So in 2008, um, we only had bow hunting rights. Okay. And we actually didn't even start to gun hunt that property until 2014 um, when we decided let's attempts to draw, you know, non-resident gun tags. And, uh, and my dad and Brian, they actually were able to. Um, I didn't have that privilege at that time. I wasn't as stable in my career as what I needed to be. Um, but yes, there were some other parties who um, gun hunted it, and they did have some success as well. Yep. Got yeah. So 2008, you know, you're sitting in a tree stand. You, you're pretty much crapped your pants. You're just like, <laughs> uh, oh, my God. This 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 is a you know a adventure land you know what I mean this yep. is a, yep. crazy so what happened did did you did you end up taking a deer that year or in two thousand nine or when you were hunting um, as well you know nope um, in two thousand eight um, I ended up eating my tag I had an opportunity at a probably a mid forties class nine point I didn't capitalize on um, but you know even though I didn't punch that tag Dan. Uh, it was still a success. Right. Uh, just having an opportunity, you know, a, a small town guy from Michigan, having an opportunity to chase trophy class whitetails was a privilege in and of itself. And it only got better from there. Right. Uh, because, you know, you know, from hunting that property, you know, starting in 2008 and through 2014 and again this fall, or 2015 and again this fall in 2016. You know, we've only hunted the property better. Um, you know, we've improved the property with some um, food plots. Um, we, and the biggest thing I think that's kind of led to success over the years, uh, is access, yeah. um, access to and from our stands. Gotcha. Yep. So, all right. So you got this lease in 2008, you know, you did some improvements over the years. Now the, the main theme of this particular podcast is we're going to talk about a particular buck and, and, uh, yep. when your buddy, you know, said, Hey, you need to reach out to this guy. He's got one hell of a story. And, you know, I have a couple deer that I had, I've had a five-year relationship with that, um, uh, you know, I've had those close, but no cigar type moments. And I, I cannot wait to get into this. You said that in 2010, and, and if you guys are listening to this podcast right now, I want you to go to the nine finger Chronicles website, uh, pull up this podcast and I'll have, I'll have some pictures there for you this this buck is ridiculous um yep. so 2010 uh number one what was your did you get him on in velvet did you find his sheds how were you how did you this buck first come about 
Yep, yep. He first hit the scene um, in the summer of 2010. Uh, we would go down early in the year, you know, hang our trail cameras on some water holes, on some food plots, just some areas where deer would frequent, you know, just to get a better idea. You know, like get that inventory that everyone wants. Um, so we're hanging stands, we're hanging trail cameras, and when we check them um, late summer, I think it was September of 2010. And we probably had, actually, I think that year we had three or four different bucks that had 13 points, which was kind of unique. And one of them, um, you know, he's in velvet. I thought at that time he was probably like a mid-60s, but he probably was an upper 50s, low 160s class buck. Um, gross. And he had a real small body. Um, so, you know, from a Michigan standards, I kind of was like, you know, he's got a lot of horn, but small body. You know, he was in the two or three that year. I figured it would be extremely hard. Uh, for a two-year-old to put 160 inches on. Uh, but, you know, my experiences now is that it's probably not knowing, you know, how rich the soil is right. um, in those river bottoms. Um, but the biggest thing about this buck was that he had a clubbed foot. His front right foot was clubbed. Um, and in 2010, when we got his first pictures, was when it was the worst. Um, you know, so we get pictures of him in the summer, um, a few different angles. And we actually, that first year because um, like i mentioned you know previously uh we kind of have a habit of just naming bucks just out of fun yeah it kind of it, it makes it a little bit easier for us to kind of converse about you know which deer maybe we saw or that we're hunting that night or we're going to plan to hunt um so we actually named the splitter that first year because he had three different uh both the g3s were split at the end and he had a split g2 on, on his left side so you know we named him splitter um and we only got a few pics of him that year and, and they were all in velvet uh, we, so, um, he was kind of one of our target bucks that year, you know, knowing that he still was really young, probably wasn't the best decision, but you know, a small town Michigan boy, I mean, a mid fifties, so one sixty bucks, even though he may not be mature, would be a hard deer to pass. Yeah. I mean, in Michigan, um, you know, 140 inch deer is a giant. So if yeah. I was to come home with a hundred and you know, upper fifties, low sixties, white tail, I mean, I'd be the talk of the town. It would be ridiculous. Right. So, um, no hard horn sightings of him in 2010. In fact, um, didn't even get any hard horn pictures of him in 2010. Okay. Um, and, and kind of through our experiences that, you know, we have learned about the shift that people talked about how, you know, um, some deer will shift their summer range um, into their fall and then, you know, possibly their winter ranges as well. Um, but my experience with that is that, you know, it depends on the deer. And that's one thing that you learn from really, uh, I'm a, um, a, trail, a trail camera nut just a uh, deer monitoring just nuts i love it um i think i'm up to i don't know 25 trail cameras now i don't know don't tell my wife <laughs> every time she asks i always cut in half but you know it's a habit and it's really fun to do yes um so it's nice to be able to kind of you can monitor you know through video with your trail cameras or you know still pictures you know how deer act around other deer yep you know, at this time, in 2010, you know, we didn't have any experiences with him. We kind of thought he fell off the radar. Um, but uh, the summer of 2011, uh, it got real, Dan. It got real. Uh, yep, it got real. Um, we, uh, we didn't check the trail cameras until early October that year. We let him soak for probably four or five months like we normally do over the summer. Yep. And I can remember we were sitting in this restaurant, and I was filtering through uh, one of the SD cards uh, on a little handheld camera. And we were in the middle of eating dinner, and um, this giant pops up, you know, a 200-class whitetail. Uh, and my jaw dropped, and, and my dad and Brian were sitting right across from me eating, and I said, you won't believe it. 
and um, it was that club foot again. And I think uh, that year, I think he had 20 points. So he blew up from uh, low 160, upper 150, 13 point. And in one year, um, he put, uh, I think he was 19, or maybe it was 18 or 19 points. Um, and I figured he grossed over 200 inches. In fact, uh, the landowner's grandson found his one of the sheds from that season, and it ended up scoring 92 inches. So you double that and give him a 20-inch spread. You know, we're talking about 205, 205-inch whitetail. Yeah. And it, the biggest thing that was noticeable about him is that he had a really small body. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of his energy was exerted into his horns, which is, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, is kind of rare. Um, so... We deployed as many cameras as well we could afford to try and, you know, monitor this deer, track him down, try and figure him out. So, you know, 2011 was our first experience with him in hard horn, our first experience with, with him in hunting as well. I can remember uh, my first experience with that deer. I was, um, I dropped my dad and Brian off at one side of the farm and I was driving around to the other side because luckily we have a couple different access points, which really have been able to, you know, maintain the purity of the land because, um, the deer aren't as spooked as much. They don't pick up on us as fast by having those additional access points. Uh, but as I'm driving to the next spot, I have my trail, my, uh, my handy cam, my um, camcorder right next to me. I see him on the side of the road, um, dog and a doe. So I got about, I think it was either 11 or 19 seconds of footage of him um, at that, in that time. And so I went back and I told Dad and Brian, I said, hey, I just saw him in the central. Well, they changed the stands that they that they were going to go to that night to try and cut this deer off, thinking that if he's going back in you know those river bottoms chasing a doe, uh, that they'll kind of get uh, in one of the fence rows uh, that he might come out on. So um, that same night, um, he came out into a field, uh, bean field, a cut bean field that my dad was hunting on, and uh, and my dad thought that he saw you know a, a Boone and Crockett typical. But he had a non-typical frame. He just couldn't see his drop tines or the inside tines at all. Uh, and my dad, you know, he's still adamant to this day. If he would have had a decoy that night, that he could have killed that buck because heart attack walked every other buck out of that field as though, you know, one of those does in that field with him was receptive. Yeah. That, and that's kind of a key point that I'll get to, you know, in a little bit. Um, at that point, we had no idea, um, you know, where he was as far as his breeding status, you know, because... He's a small-bodied deer. He'd be lucky to hit 170 dressed. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, I'll bring that point up later. Uh, when he was killed, um, I think he only weighed 130 pounds. He was the size of a doe. And this, all of that energy you know, was exerted into his horns. So um, I think if, my, if I remember right, uh, he got to 80 or 90 yards for my dad uh, that night. Uh, but we didn't see him again in 2011. Um, so no shot opportunities. Uh, All right, I'm going to back up just a bit for you here. And so in 2010, when you guys first got him on trail camera, what was your guess at age? You know, being from Michigan, I thought all that horn, but it's really hard not to look at that horn. And you have to take into account that he's got this club foot. Um, I, at that time, I'm still pretty adamant. I figured that he was kind of a three and a half year old, but just the soil down in, in Illinois and West Central Illinois, he could have been two and a half. So he was either two or three max. Okay. Yep. So we'll give, you know, we'll let's just as a reference point say he was a a, a three year old. Okay. Yep. So yep. he's a three year old, and he's about one sixty in 2010. That was yep. your your guys's guess. Gross. Yep. 
2011 means he's a four-year-old, and I'm writing this down so I can keep track of the story. And as a four-year-old, you're saying he is easily a 200-incher. Yep, yep, a little yep. over between two, 205 and 210 is what I was thinking. Okay, two, 200 plus. So yep. I tell you what, and it is very, not only is it rare for a deer, I mean, even in Iowa, right? It Even in the best kind of conditions that a whitetail can grow in, it is rare to get a deer into the 170s mark. It's even yep. more rare to get, you know, it, we're talking one in millions to get yep. to that, to that 200, that magic 200 inch number. And, uh, and especially when you have a three-year-old from three-year-old to a four-year-old jumping from 160 to putting on, you know, 40 inches to make 200, 40 plus inches to make 200. This is, and I have, I've had experience with a buck that I called shipwreck that was similar to this. And yep. he had a small body. He had a huge rack his entire life. I bet you had a three-year-old, he was 170, four-year-old, 180, five-year-old, 196 year old 200, seven-year-old, 200. And then I think they killed him, you know, I, and I, it's been a while since I told that story, but, uh, just a, just a genetic, this buck here, same as shipwreck, just a genetically gifted deer. He was going to have, when he was born, he was born to grow antlers. Yep. Yep. And you know, you know, we sit here and we say 200 inches and you know, he put on 40 inches in one year, which, which is a lot and it's not unheard of. Yep. Um, but it gets better, Dan, it does. But I want to back up just a little bit and talk about shipwreck. Uh, if I remember correctly, with that article was in North American White Sales, is that right? That's correct. And I think three or four different guys were hunting the same buck and never knew it? Yep. Well, there was, there was yeah, there was two of us who knew about him. And then uh, the guy who ended up killing killing him didn't even know about him until the day, oh. the first time he ever saw him, ever had trail camera pictures of him, was the day that he shot him. Oh, man. And that was a bordering property for the most part where he was living. I mean, he, he had to be, I mean, his shit, like several years of his sheds were found on that property. And so it's, uh, it was crazy. But, but the privilege to chase a 200 inch wild whitetail. Yeah. If you haven't experienced it, I really hope that people do. And everyone that's listening, I really hope they have that opportunity because it is so rare. And I'll be, I'll be honest. It F's with your mind. It, that, Dan, is an understatement. Dan, I, I imagine you and I can relate in this situation because, you know, neither of us were able to capitalize on those deer. However, we both probably lost sleep. We both probably, you know, were daydreaming at work or, or wherever else about, you know, what yeah. this buck would look like on our wall and what it'd do for our notoriety and our, you know, our hunting experiences. And just having that privilege was, was so amazing. I tell you, here's real quick, and we'll get back to the story, but with – the very first encounter that I had with shipwreck, probably as a four-year-old, I think when he was about a three or four-year-old at 170 inches, and he was behind a tree, and I had he was at 15 yards roughly, and I I could have shot him in the back guts or oh. in the hindquarters, and I passed on that shot. Since that yep. day, I thought about that buck every day until probably a year after he was harvested so (laughs) that buck as far as lessons are concerned that buck taught me more about how to hunt deer 
than any other experiences that I've had. Yeah. So so powerful. So powerful. Yep. All right. So 2011, um, any other encounters with him other than what your dad had in 2011? Nope. Nope. I never saw him from the stand in 2011, you know, but he's still showing up on trail camp. Um, but you know, we're only at this point, you know, still 2011, we're only bow hunting this property. Yep. So, you know, when the rust done, and you know, a little bit before the first shotgun season, you know, we pull all of our stands, we pull all our cameras. So, you know, we never know what happens during gun season. Um, you know, we're really good friends with some of the neighbors who have had similar success to us as well. In fact, they killed, uh, two, 200 inches last year, both with a bow. Um, so off that you know, same property off the property, just to the South of us. Okay. So, you know, this is the primo area. And just to tell you, you'll understand a little bit better when I tell you that this deer probably made a 60 inch jump from 2012 to 2013. But before I talk too much about that, I want to talk a little bit about 2012. Right. Which I uh, you know if everyone remembers was a year of EHD. Yep. It was a really bad drought in, in the Midwest. Um, so, you know, we're going into 2012. We have no idea if he survived um, gun seasons, muzzle load. Um, and we're not even sure at this point uh, if he can survive a hard winter because, um, you know, there's lots of topography, lots of, um, you know, hogbacks and lots of hills, um, you know, in these river bottoms. And he has a clubbed foot. And he has a noticeable limp, you know, when we see him. So uh, we're a little bit worried about him, especially knowing, you know, how much energy a white tail can exert during the run. You know, deer can kill themselves. Yeah. So we're nervous about him. We go into 2012, um, and, and that year we didn't run any um, cameras in the summer. Uh, and we just didn't have that opportunity. So we didn't get him in the summer. Okay. Um, but everyone's nervous. You know, EHD is hitting late summer. I mean, we're finding, um, I think, if I... Gosh, in Michigan, I think we found 30 deer on a river that we duck hunt. Yeah, people are finding dead deer everywhere in the Midwest. You know, in fact, it was probably one of the reasons as to why, or maybe the onset as to why, you know, the herd has kind of fell off since then. Yeah, you know, in my opinion, you know, between 2008 and 2011 really was the pinnacle for whitetails in the Midwest as far as numbers is concerned. Um, in fact, I'm not sure what it would even take for us to see those same numbers. You know, there was nothing for us in Illinois in 2008 to sit and see 50 or 60 deer. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to experience that again. Uh, and I think that it all began with EHD and that really hard drought that year, uh, right. which made it really difficult for whitetails to uh, prepare for winter of 2013, which where I think we lost a lot um, to the uh, winter in 2013, but it wasn't as bad um, as 2014. So I'm kind of rambling on a little bit, but we didn't get any velvet pictures of heart attack in 2012. So, you know, everyone's getting nervous. Mind you, I'm losing sleep about this year. You know, just like you said, just like shipwreck every night. Um, he, he, he's all I thought about, you know, you're obsessed yeah. with a white tail. It happens, but it's a good feeling um, so, because it kind of makes you be prepared. Yeah. So, so 2012, right. Go ahead, you man. know, you didn't put, you didn't put cameras out. How, I mean, <laughs> how did you not put cameras out? I, I, I know, you know, everybody had, you know, you're, you don't live next to the property. You live, you know, however many hours away. If I knew Yep. There was a 200, a possible 200 inch deer on a property that I had access to. I would drive eight hours, 10 hours, 15 hours to put one trail camera on. And I would make <laughs> that trip probably once a week if I had to, to double, triple check yep. the batteries and SD cards, make sure everything was perfect. <laughs> yep. It just, it didn't work out that way in 2012. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that happened. Can you still hear me good, Dan? Yep, I can. Yeah. Um, 
so, but you know, we we were able to get some pictures of him in 2012, um, and we're we're starting to get daytime pictures of him. Okay. You know, and I'm not sure if there's a correlation between his age or maybe where he is in the breeding hierarchy. You know, I'm not really sure what's going on, uh, but we're getting pictures of him during the daylight, and he's in front of some of our tree stands. Uh, so we know this whitetail is killable, uh, but you know, we kind of you know gross estimated his score. You know, between I thought right around 205 in 2011. Well, because that drought, because of EHD, um, you know, he didn't get all the nutrition that he needed. Um, and so he shrank in 2012. Uh, he was still Boone and, Boone and Crockett, um, gross class whitetail. And I estimated him that year to be between 185 and 190, which is still a monster whitetail in anyone's right. Uh, but we're talking about, you know, whitetail obviously shrank. I think he still had 15 or 16 points. And, and the biggest thing about him that I started to notice this year is, is you know, a whitetail is really big when his main beams go out past his nose when you have a profile picture, you know, trail cam picture. Yeah. These beams were so far past his nose um, that it he, he probably couldn't eat off the ground very well without hitting his horns. You know, we're talking about probably in the realm of a 28, 29-inch uh, main beam, yeah. which is which is gigantic. Yeah. But he's still, he's short times, good mass. Um, but I noticed that year he started to put a lot of energy as well into his brow tines. His brow tines were, I think both of his brow tines had, they were tripled. Um, they were getting longer. I think they were eight or nine inches. Uh, but he still, he was only, you know, mid eighties, low nineties class whitetail. Right. So, um, we don't see him at all in 2012, um, from the stand. Uh, but he's still showing up in the trail cam pictures. Uh, but no opportunities in 2012 with this buck by any of us, um, during both season. And no one again in gun season. So, so with you your know, trail you camera, that feeling, you know, it's a, with that again? with that trail camera reconnaissance, I mean, you're getting pictures of yep. him. Did you have an idea of where his bedding area was or bedding areas were? And I mean, what was the talk amongst you and your dad and the other guy that hunted this property, as opposed to a strategy to try to kill this buck? Yep. It's really hard for me to say, Dan, but I can almost pinpoint we knew exactly within three acres from where this deer bedded on a regular basis. And um, we knew that because we surrounded that area with trail cameras, obviously. Um, and he bedded it in a little, in a thick fence row, an overgrown um, hedge apple fence row um, that was kind of like an elevated point to where he could see all around him, uh, but it was still really thick and secure. So um, we were doing our best to kind of move in, but at the same time, you know, not risking bumping this whitetail because, you know, there's other people, you know, at this point, people know about this deer. You know, some of the locals have seen this deer. Um, some of the guys that hunt just to the south of us, you know, they're from the south. Some of them are from Florida, uh, one of them from North Carolina, um, in the Alabama, Louisiana area. Um, they've seen this whitetail um, while driving, and, you know, their, their property butts up to our lease. So we're at this point, they know about this whitetail as well. Um, in fact, they named him Clubfoot just because, you know, he had had that club foot the whole time when we were calling him heart attack. Now, to our knowledge, they didn't have any pictures or any experiences with heart attacks. In fact, I, I do believe them when they told me that because his core area was really small and it stayed small. Um, in fact, he would cross the Lower Moine River because we tracked him with trail cameras um, when he was um, three in 2000, or excuse me, when he was four in 2011. And when he was five in 2012, but um, moving forward in 2013, um, 
he stopped crossing the river, which is kind of funny. I mean, it's pretty consistent with you know as your ages and matures, you know, this core area gets smaller. Well, everyone probably listening is probably like, well, if you know this core area and you have this bedding area narrowed down to possibly acres, how did you not kill this whitetail? And that's a great, a great question. I don't have an answer for Dan. It happens, man. But at least <laughs> it, do, it, it does. You know, sometimes the best plan. Yeah, it just doesn't work out. But you know, that's why we hunt because it's a challenge. Because if deer hunting and killing two hundred inch whitetails was easy, was easy. I don't think anyone would do it because I think it's a challenge that drives everyone. Just right. the experience in and of itself. You know, chasing that two hundred white two hundred inch whitetail, like we talked about. But let me get into two thousand thirteen because I don't think people are going to believe me until they get on your website and see some of the pictures that I forwarded you. Um, you know, 2012 EHD, you know, he's an upper eighties, one nineties class, gross whitetail, not typical frame. 2013, we deployed as many cameras as what we could again. At this point, I'm going broke. I have so many trail cameras that I need. <laughs> and it's not the trail cameras. Them. It's not the trail cameras that are expensive. It's the batteries that you got to keep putting into them over the years. <laughs> and people, if everyone's listening, you got to use lithium batteries because if you don't, you're going to be disappointed in my opinion. Um, now there are some, there's some camera manufacturers out there now that are better with your alkaline or your um, nickel metal halide rechargeables. There are some that are good, better, um, but lithium through and through. I mean, I uh, I literally spend hundreds of dollars in Michigan every year just to deploy all my trail cameras with batteries. So I'm kind of, I'm talking to the couple of the detectives that I work with and they're like, you know, Phoenix, why are you buying all that lithium? Well, actually, methamphetamines <laughs> is really popular in Michigan, and, and one of the components um, in manufacturing methamphetamine is lithium. So uh, they think that I'm actually probably smurfing um, lithium, <laughs> lithium. But no, that's that's not true. I, I don't do meth. But um, <laughs> uh, thanks for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying all this lithium batteries, all these lithium batteries for my trail camera. So 2013, Dan. We deploy a fleet, literally a fleet of trail cameras to find this deer, and he shows up. Um, in fact, um, he first showed up right around the 4th of July. And right around the 4th of July, the first week in July, he was probably already Boone Crockett. Yeah. But his uh, main beams had probably just curved back around his ears. And I'm not kidding, he's Boone Crockett this time. And you really have to go to your website to really fathom how big this whitetail was. Um, 190s in 2012, he shrank. In 2013, I estimated him to be around 250 inches. Two, you said 250. That's right, right. That's right. I think you know a lot of people um, would probably think that I may be overshooting that, uh, overshooting that. Uh, but you got to look at these pictures and see for yourself. I, I do think that uh, you know 240 is probably is probably on the very low end of the spectrum, in my opinion. Um, but that's because I had. Uh, an encounter with that whitetail that year and so did my dad um, and I was actually able to film him in hard horn my dad had a 15 uh, minute encounter with this whitetail as he was sending uh, a doe at 15 yards and he couldn't sneak an arrow through um, talk about losing sleep so you know and I know for a fact that he was you know north of 230 yeah. uh, because my dad when my dad harvested him um, in 2014 his left side alone grossed 125 inches Jeez. he stored pope and young on one side <laughs> one side as a seven-year-old i mean you're talking about a rarity yeah um, if in 2014 his sides would have been symmetric and um he would have had a 20-inch spread 
you know, we're talking about a top five whitetail in the state of Illinois. Yeah. Um, so, and, I, and I'm sorry I keep getting sidetracked, but yeah, he's 250. Okay. So, um, to say that I'm excited to bow hunt in West Central Illinois in, in Illinois in 2013 is an understatement. You talked about losing sleep with shipwreck. Yeah. And heart attack, I felt like I didn't sleep. My friends knew about it. My coworkers knew about him. Everyone asked about him. People, random people were emailing me about him because, you know, uh, I was posting about him on um, social networking, you know, on Facebook. It was like, yeah, I got this 250-inch whitetail on trail camera. I want to sh- you know, I want to show him off. So I made sure with all my trail cameras that year that um, all the image strips had my name on it just so people wouldn't believe yeah. you know, that these are my images. And this is actually a whitetail that I had the privilege to hunt. Right. Um, so just for everyone to believe me, um, I made sure all my um, trail cameras had my name on them, um, where all the pictures that were taken. And I, I stepped my game up when it came to uh, my camcorder that year. I went with a high-definition um, camera that year. And, you know, my car- I always carry a camcorder whenever I hunt. And it's not necessarily just to um, film myself harvest um, my game sometimes, but it helps for document docu- documentation yep. and inventory. And, and really where I'm from, I almost have to do that for people to believe me. I mean, uh, what would you think if someone told you, Dan, that they're hunting a 250-inch whitetail? Right. I would be like, hey, yeah, it's probably 180. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. Exactly. So I had to prove it. And uh, in the rut of 2013, um, I got a couple minutes of footage of this buck. And I actually had an opportunity where I got the full draw on him twice um, at well, 30 down. yards. Uh, slow down. But he wouldn't stop. We got a, I got a lot of questions before we get to this point. Okay. Like you got a 250 inch deer on your property. You know, this, you, I mean, cause you have several, you already have several years of history with him. You have trail camera pictures of him in velvet. You have trail camera pictures of him in Hardhorn. Um, how many times did you go down there over the summer? Um, did, did you change your stand locations to try to get in tighter to this bedding area where you thought you were, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what your strategy was to try to harvest this animal. Yep. Yep. We talked a little bit about, you know, their core areas getting smaller and smaller. So we knew historically some of our stand sites, and we always put trail cameras by our stand sites to kind of monitor, um, you know, if or when they are going by those trail stands or those trips, uh, those tree stands. So, you know, at this point, we know our stands are kind of in the right positions. It's just going to be about timing at this point. Uh, we got to catch them off guard. He can't be spooked. He can't know that we're hunting them, which is where access comes in. Um, so we're refining our stands a little bit. You know, we're, we're moving them maybe yards just to, to pinpoint the exact tree to get the best shot and the best position. In 2013, we're getting daylight pictures of this buck. In fact, um, in 2013, I filled my tag relatively early uh, on a buck that I called the Michigan Mistake, um, a Pope and Young buck um, that I thought was a little bit bigger because I only saw his profile. He had 10 inch G2s. Um, you know, I ended up shooting him, and I think that he it was a mistake, which I call a Michigan mistake. I think he was a two and a half year old, you know, a low 120s buck. But you know, in Michigan, you know, you have to get acclimated to Illinois when I go back every year because, um, I, I don't have that privilege of seeing those whitetails throughout the summer or seeing them, you know, on the roads driving. They're just not that big in Michigan very often, right? right. So, you know, unfortunately, I filled my tag early in um, 2012, or excuse me, in 2013. Um, the problem with that situation was that, you know, I still went out in the tree stand and I still filmed. 
Um, and I still was attempting to fill my doe tag to which I did that year. Um, and as I'm sitting in a stand along the river, because it was easy access, I had to pass 150 inch eight point, 145 inch 11 point, and then about 140 inch 10 point, all in about a half an hour, all at 20 yards. Here I am. I, and I filmed every single one of them. So everyone that doesn't believe me, just email me. Um, I filmed my tag early in the, early in my two week hunt. So that's all the time that I have off of work at that time during the rut, you know, I'm a, I'm a young buck, my mistake, and I had to pass up all these deer. So I texted my dad. I said, hey, it's really hot down here. I have no idea what's going on. So my dad, um, he left uh, the stand, and we traded stands. And I, um, I left for the day, and he took my stand, and I left because something was going on down there. There must have been a hot dough or a reason for them to kind of congregate in that area. Right. So that was a huge mistake, a huge mistake. My dad shouldn't have left his stand. Because at 1130 um, that day, heart attack, walked by the stand that my dad left. Oh, boy. Uh, so, you know, that was really disheartening. Uh, and, you know, I love my dad, but uh, he kind of blamed me and so did Brian a little bit for making him change stands. Uh, you know, my dad's the reason why I hunt. Uh, he's the one that got me started into hunting, who really helped build my passion. And, you know, a lot of my friends um, since then have really helped me refine it. And so has um, the great state of Illinois. Um, due to their purchase, they, they have allotted me, you know, being a non-resident. So, you know, it's an understatement. My dad's mad at me. You know, he missed his opportunity at a world-class whitetail because I, you know, encouraged him to move stands. Because um, my dad that year was the only one left for the bow tag. So, you know, I'm telling you about this one story, and you probably think that it's, it's heart attack or bust every year for me. Well, it's not. Um, in 2011, I killed a 147-inch um, nine point. I thought he was a three year old. He had 10 inch brow tines. We called him double, double dagger, just a 19 inch spread, 10 inch brow tines. Uh, you, I couldn't turn him down. Right. Um, 2015, I killed 146 inch, uh, 10 point that we named goiter because he had a large fluid filled sack on, on the front of his chest and between his legs. I'm, I'm sure some people may have seen him before. Yep. Um, so you know, I'm still being successful, but it's not heart attack or bust. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's the deer that I and I'm sure that everyone would dream about. Uh, but it's you know I I'm not eating a five hundred dollar tag if I don't have to because it's you know one of these deer is going to look good on my wall and in my freezer then I'm going to pull the trigger. Right. Um. So 2013, um, second week in November, um, I'm along the edge of the Lemoyne River, and um, I sat from about an hour before sun up to about an hour after sundown that day. And that this and is in, from, this is still in 2013, right? Yep. Yep. This is still 2013. I want to tell you specifically about my experience with him in 2013. Right. And then I'll, and I'll tell you about my dad's. I sat from sunup to sundown. Um, I saw 19 different bucks that morning. Um, three bucks of which I shoot. Well, I would shoot um, 140 class um, nine point that we called Trunk because um, he's a really heavy buck, probably you know 280, 290, and, and heart attack. Well, heart attack came out probably around 10 or 10:30 a.m. He was probably 65 yards from me, and, and I had my video camera rolling. And he, there were some does that had kind of passed through a trail that he was set checking at that time. Uh, and, and I had the trail camera on, or I had my camcorder on him, and I, and I grunted at him trying to get his attention because he was all by himself, but it didn't work. Um, he followed that scent trail into a thicket, and about 45 minutes later, he came back out by himself. Uh, and I figured now was the time. So I got a little bit more aggressive with him. Um, grunted at him a little bit louder, did a little snort wheeze, and he came my way. Uh, he was angling towards me, but not straight at me, so it would have been a perfect broadside shot. But mind you, and I don't know if you've hunted in Illinois, I know Iowa, Dan, but 
there's the um, CREP program in, in Illinois, which I personally contribute to a lot of the larger whitetails in the river bottoms to the CREP program because that program has drills in trees in native warm season grasses um, for all of the old farm ground that can't be farmed anymore because of how the tributaries run into the Lemoyne and really flood out all that lower ground. Well, the trees and the grasses help absorb all that moisture so that river bottoms don't stay flooded for very long. So, but these areas are so thick. Um, they house tons, it houses tons of whitetails. And, and that's um, one of the things that I credit to whitetails getting that old in the state of Illinois. I mean, that, there's other factors as well that I do believe, but the CREP program is amazing in Illinois, thanks to the Illinois DNR. I think that started with um, Calhoun, I think, was one of the DNR uh, directors at that time who kind of orchestrated that. So kudos to him. But it was too thick, and I couldn't get a shot. Um, and when he did stop, I couldn't get a shot. And when he, he walked through one of my lanes, he wouldn't stop. You know, kind of like what you talked about with Shipwreck. You know, I, I did have an opportunity, and I relived that all the time. Um, but, you know, ethics taught me not to take a bow shot on a whitetail that was walking at 30 yards. You know, 10 or 20 maybe a different story. But, uh, you know, I knew better. Um, and he wasn't spooked, so I kind of gave him the opportunity to um, see how it was going to play out. Um, well, that 140-inch whitetail that I called Junk, um, he kind of pushed him a little bit closer to me. Um, but there was about 75 yards between me and the river, and the heart attack actually got behind me. He got my wind. He didn't spook very much. Um, and he just went in the thicket, and I didn't see him again. That was my only experience with a heart attack in 2013. Okay. Now, a couple a couple of days later, uh, my dad's hunting a lot closer to his um, his bedding area. You know, a couple acres of that of that fence row that he's living in, and he's tending a doe. And my dad has him at 15 yards, and he can't get a shot. So this is just remember trim your shooting lanes because uh, <laughs> you'll lose sleep if you have a 250 inch white tail at 15 yards you can't squeak an arrow through there which is extremely unfortunate but you know my dad felt the same way as i did you know just to have that privilege to hunt a 200 inch class a 200 class white tail we're, we're from michigan like you're michigan there's if there's one killed per year in the whole state of michigan that's a good year where in Illinois, like I just told you, our neighbors last year killed two with their bows. So, um, 2013, my dad had an opportunity. I had an opportunity. We couldn't capitalize. We lost a lot of sleep. Yeah. So how many uh, how many days were you hunting this property? I mean, I would literally spend every ounce of vacation <laughs> hour hunting this piece and being as strategic as possible as what wind directions to hunt, you know, where I need to move my stands. Do I go in on this, you know, wind? Do I lay off a night? What do I do? How many, yep. how many total days were, did you come down for your little rut vacation or were you bouncing back and forth throughout the entire year? So, um, typically we would hang trail cameras at the stands in the summer. We'd spend a weekend in September checking trail cameras, prepping food plots, hanging more stands in September. And then we really wouldn't come back and hunt until the rut was in full swing. Um, the property is set up really good for access. Um, you know, we can access through the Lemoyne if it's low enough. Um, you know, the Lemoyne River, I don't know if anyone's experienced it. I'm not sure if any you know, rivers are similar in Iowa, but, you know, with a, with a one-inch rain, um, this river can go up, you know, 20 to 30 feet. Um, in hours. So, you know, depending on how, where the river, the water table is, depending on, you know, how our ability to access this property. Um, what I'm trying to get to is that 
Um, you know, I'm, my dad and Brian, they're both retired from General Motors. They would hunt this deer every day if they could. Um, but, you know, I'm still at this time, you know, I'm in the middle of my career. I'm, um, you know, still investigating, you know, crimes against children. So it's like, you know, I, I can't take the whole month of November off, you know, so I really only had about two weeks to hunt this deer. Um, but mind you, I'm sitting from sun up to sundown trying to kill this deer. But like I said, it's not heart attack or bust. You know, I've killed uh, four bucks over 140 in, in Illinois. Um, I, I learned that I'm not going to eat a tag because my wife, um, and she doesn't know how much money I have invested in this, obviously, <laughs> like I said before. So don't tag, don't tag me in any of these posts or don't share it on my timeline or I'll have to defriend her. But um, I hunted them as much as I could. Yeah. Uh, but we had to be strategic about it because, you know, it only takes one time to bump that white tail to your neighbors and then you kind of lose out on that opportunity. So right. um, 2013, two opportunities, we didn't capitalize. All right. So uh, our trail cam fleet builds in 2014. Does um, does uh, anybody have any sheds off this deer? Did you guys go yep. shed hunting? What's the story there? One shed. Found one shed off him from his 2011 rack, which really uh, solidified my idea of him being right around 205. Um, the landowner's grandson found it in the middle of a bean field on his left side alone that year, scored 92 inches. Yep. So if he was symmetric as far as gross antler, um, on his right side, we're talking about 184 plus a 20 inch spread, which is very moderate in my opinion. Right around 204, 205. Um, mind you, he was 92 inches. He had um, 10 or 11 points that year on his left side alone. So his left side, left shed alone from 2011 had 10 or 11 points. Three of them were broken, and he still he still scored 92 inches on on one side with broken points. So, yeah. you know, world class whitetail is an understatement. That's the only shed we found in this deer, though. Um, and to our knowledge, no one else had ever found um, any of his other sheds either. But you know, when you're when you're when a lot of people are trying to hunt this a 200 inch whitetail, um, not a lot of people share that information, right? You know, outside of their hunting camp. And I do believe, because um, there was a, um, a smaller piece um, just to the north of our lease um, that this deer had frequented as well, um, and it was being bow hunted. Um, I don't think the guys were as strategic with their access or their preparation as what we were. Um, but I think I thought it was still an opportunity for them to have killed this whitetail. So another, another so, question here is, were you still kind of, uh, let's see, how do I put this? Were you, did you guys kind of quiet up about this buck a little bit? I mean, we had to. Yeah. Okay. We had to because um, the more people knew about it, um, the more people that want to kind of snake our lease, in fact, um, that almost happened. Because um, a lot of out-of-staters, you know, they, they hunt in the river bottoms of West Central Illinois. You know, really, it's that mecca for whitetail. You know, late 90s, early early 2000s, you know, Pike County really set the precedent for, um, you know, whitetail hunting in Illinois. And it brought everyone to Illinois. See, in Illinois, it's so much different than Iowa, and you know this because I can bow hunt Illinois every year. I just have to pay $500 for the tag. Where in Iowa you're lucky to get a tag every other year for archery. So, you know, Illinois is that state. It's that good compromise between hunting every year and, you know, the best possibility to kill a blue and cracker whitetail. So, uh, you know, we run into a lot of locals, people from Massachusetts, all, I mean, all over Florida, everywhere, um, come to this area um, and, uh, and are chasing, you know, similar deer. So we're, we're tight-lipped is what we can be about it, but it's so hard not to share, a, a, you know, hard horn pictures of a, 250 inch whitetail 
Right. Um, I got one trail camera sequence of him that year. And if I remember, he had 22 or 23 points. I got a trail camera se- sequence with like 60 pitchers as he's rubbing or scraping um, on one of the mock scrapes that we made with some um, parachute cord. Um, and the muscles on his chest and his front legs and his neck are just sticking out so much. Actually, I won another trail cam contest um, with that pitcher here in Michigan. So, you know, uh, Illinois has done so much for me. Um, I won a couple of different um, trail camera contests with some of the white tails that I had the opportunity to chase but not harvest. Um, but 2014, because I know this is getting real lengthy, and I, pro- I apologize, but I appreciate that everyone continues to listen. 2014, we deployed as many cameras as what we can, Dan. He shows up um, late August, early September. We get him on camera. That was the first but, picture. So his he's coming back into the area mid yep. to late summer every year. So he this he's not his home range isn't or the food source that brings him into this area. One of those things brings him back every year. Something brings him back in. I don't know exactly what it is. I, I really don't know what to contribute it to or attribute it to. Uh, but at one point, you know, we weren't seeing this deer a lot on the hoof. We were seeing every other deer that we named. So, you know, we were kind of suspicious, you know, are we not seeing him because, you know, he's not participating in the breeding with the other white tails, uh, which kind of leads into a little bit about what happened in 2014. So he shows up on camera, Dan. And the first picture we got of him is his left profile. His left side alone looks to have possibly 25 to 30 inch mass of inches of mass alone on his left side. He turns towards the camera in the next shot, and he's not symmetric. Um, he barely even grew a main beam on his right side. In fact, um, he ended up breaking after velvet about a 15 inch drop time on his right side. He grew about three brown times that were approximately nine or 10 inches on his right side, and the same on his left. Um, but he lost all that energy in his right side. So if I remember correctly, uh, he, we grow scored, he only scored uh, 60 or 69 inches on his right side um, that year, but his left side was 125 inches. Like I mentioned, he was Pope and young on his left side, man. And, and that's hard to fathom. So now it's like, do you shoot this whitetail or will he pull out of it? Do you shoot a whitetail that could possibly be, you know, 270 inches just because he's not symmetric that year. How, Go to how the website look look at the pictures. It's how, amazing. How how do you how do you have that conversation with yourself? For me, I look at the picture even in 2014. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm going shooter without a doubt. I mean, the biggest right. buck. You what's the big before you even saw this deer? And before, I mean, even off this property, what's the biggest buck you've ever shot? The biggest buck I've ever shot was 153 inches. So. Okay. Um, the, the biggest buck I've ever even saw, um, uh, before that was probably only a mid seventies booner. Right. Um, so, so how are, how are you having this conversation saying, well, he's broken or he's busted up. Maybe we should wait another year because he's not, like, I, I can't, fa- I can't fathom that. <laughs> you know, and Dan, we had that conversation amongst us, amongst ourselves, the three of us, me, my Brian, me, Brian, and my dad, um, and we're kind of trying to put a score on him, but, you know, as far as, you know, whitetail management is concerned, he's seven and a half years old at this time, at the least. Yeah. Uh, or somewhere in that neighborhood. You know, he's been sexually mature for years, but, you know, and, but at the same time, you know, we want him to pass on those genetics. Um, so we're trying to put together a score for him. 
um, at the time, you know, obviously before harvesting him, while he's still in velvet, you know, I'm still under the impression I think he's 200 inches. I do. His left side's so big. Uh, my dad thinks he shrank the 160s. You know, it's really hard to do that asymmetric that to really kind of get an idea, you know, on what he scores. You know, and, and everyone's about the score, uh, but it was about the chase of this whitetail as well. And, you know, nets are for fish. Yep. I've never net scored one of my deer. So, you know, I, when I talk about scores, it's always about gross. Because um, I think deer should be credited for everything that they grow. In fact, um, I think, you know, outside of Boone and Crockett, a better way possibly to score deer would be by using displacement. That way they get credit for every single inch of antler um, that they scored. But that's neither here nor there. So 2014, he's asymmetric. We do have that conversation. Do you still kill this whitetail? Well, we're not even sure. You know, we've been chasing him for four years. 2014 is our fifth full year chasing this deer. We've had two opportunities. We didn't capitalize. We may not even see this whitetail. So um, we're there. Um, it's uh, and we only got any velvet pictures of him though at this point. So we're hunting him with a bow for two weeks. Uh, middle of the rut, no sightings. He fell off our cameras. Um, we ended up did finding some um, hard horn pictures of him the end of October, but he fell off. Um, we thought he was dead. Uh, we started asking neighbors. Uh, and mind you, we're, we're running more trail cameras than what we ever have. So for him not to show up on our trail cameras, something was wrong. Um, he didn't show up uh, at all during bow season. But my dad and Brian, they drew gun tags um, in 2014. In 2014. Now, um, not much of a gun hunter, but just that additional opportunity to harvest another buck in, in the great state of Illinois um, is a privilege as well. So um, I um, didn't have the opportunity to draw in 2014. My dad and Brian did. Um, so we went home after our bull hunt, they reconvened for their gun season with all their gun accessories and everything that they needed, uh, to prepare for gun season. And then, um, they proceeded to hunt, um, the first gun season, uh, in West Central Illinois in 2014. And if anyone hunted that season, they remember that that first gun season in Illinois, it rained every day. So there was minimal sightings. Um, so it came in, I'm texting my dad, I'm texting Brian cause I'm in Michigan, you know, I'm, I'm hunting Michigan still, uh, I'm working and I'm just, I'm curious about how gun season's going, where's heart attack. So the very last night, um, of the first gun season Sunday night and, um, my dad texts me about two, an hour before dark, he says he sees heart attack and he's coming his way uh, and I'm, I'm excited. Um, my wife knows I'm excited and. I want to call my dad, but I know I can't interrupt him. And I'm just praying that, you know, he gives us an opportunity, asymmetric or not. You know, this is a world-class whitetail. Right. Um, and I was praying this entire time for, you know, my dad or Brian or someone to harvest this whitetail. He comes in, my dad shoots him about 100 yards uh, with a single shot, 20 gauge. Um, he's kind of unsure if he hit him or not. He heard the thud, but he wasn't sure because heart attack only ran a little bit and then stopped. And so my dad reloaded and he actually was able to get a second shell into him. Um, and about an hour after dark, they were able to find him. Uh, and I was ecstatic, ecstatic for him. Um, when my dad, um, got back in, he called me, we celebrated, you know, heart attack was dead. You know, this deer who we've all known in chase for longer than what my daughter's even been alive is finally put to rest. Um, and it's kind of, um, it's surreal because, you know, having that opportunity to chase such a huge white tail you really don't know until you experience, you know, kind of like shipwreck. You got to do it to really know how privileged you are. And it's kind of funny that, you know, we're having this podcast today because, um, heart attack came home today. 
Um, my dad had a half a body replica mount of his club foot. Um, and he actually, uh, he got it back from the taxidermist today. Um, nice. and it's in his house today. So it's kind of, uh, kind of rewarding that this happened today and that occurred as well. Um, but so, um, you know, I, I was still in Michigan. I had to work, you know, I couldn't do it out in Illinois and help drag the deer, even though I wanted to, it's a seven hour drive. So my dad gets home, you know, the following day and, and this deer is 135 pounds dressed. Um, he did have an injury to his front shoulder, which I did credit as to why his rack was asymmetric. Um, and we were kind of trying to throw some scores out there on what he'd score. Um, and he had a 30 inch main beam on his left side. And his left side alone, like I said a couple other times, scored 125 with no broken points. So, you know, this deer really had the energy, to, in my opinion, to be a 250 to 270 class whitetail. Uh, but he just get, he didn't get there. Um, and I don't know anyone that would have passed on this whitetail um, that year, even though he didn't match up. And he still grossed 209 inches even though he only had like 69 inches, I think it was on his right side and 15 inches that were broke off. So he still put on, you know, approximately, approximately, you know, 220, 225 inches being as lopsided as what he was. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that's, uh, one hell of a story. I mean, I, I, and you know, one thing I want to say is, this is a story about a, a very rare buck from the standpoint of antlers, but that's not yep. to say that anybody can have a story like this with a, a buck that they chase for five years or two years or however many yep. years. It's 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 the chase that's in the the memories that are important. It's awesome that this buck had, you know gigantic rack to top you know that as the cherry on top yeah. but yep. you know the the cool thing about this podcast is that i get to talk with guys in michigan and pennsylvania and some of those very heavily pre, you know heavily hunted states yep. who have similar stories about a buck that you know the biggest they ever got was 140 or 130 yep. or something like that but the 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 whole you know and they they were still obsessed with that buck, just like you were you were obsessed with this buck, and I was obsessed with shipwreck. So, uh, it's the the antlers are awesome, but the story is even better. It is, it is, Dan. You know, I and I only really shared the synapse of exactly what my experience with him was because um, I'm talking thousands of trail camera pictures of this deer. He didn't mind white flash cameras. He didn't mind infrared. He posed for the camera, uh, which is why it ate us up inside so much. But, you know, you're right. It is about the chase. And, and, you know, I was lucky to share that chase with my dad. And, you know, my dad's still around. and He's still an avid bull hunter just like I am. Um, and I still had that luxury uh, to do that with my dad. Um, and um, we did the same thing this year with our target buck. Um, I was able to harvest this year a 153-inch deer with my bow, you know, my biggest deer ever. Um, so get out there, chase those deer. I really credit it to trail cameras because it give it gave us the opportunity to become familiar with the deer that were, you know, frequent in the property. Um, and I, I looked for small cues to identify them by, like with Goiter, um, the buck I killed in 2014, 146 inch with a, a big ball on his chest or heart attack with a club foot. Um, use, use cameras for um, inventory 
or to help, um, you know, target for you know trails or whatever. They're, they're a great tool in my opinion, and, and they really helped me build a relationship you know, with this wild animal uh, who I have the privilege to hunt and now uh, who I have the privilege to, to see on a regular basis when I go to my dad's house. So. Perfect. First off, I want to say thank you to Devin for coming on the show and sharing that story. Absolutely amazing story. Absolutely amazing animal. Definitely one in, one of a kind. Now, also, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener. Thank you guys very much for uh, tuning in every week and listening to the podcast that I put out. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you guys can find it in your heart, do me a favor. Go visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Check out their trail cameras. Let me know what you think. And uh, other than that, I think we'll close down this week with a hell yeah and a wear your damn safety harness.